Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad that you've joined us today to study the Bible with us. And that's what we do each week is try to answer as many of your questions as we can so that we all know our Bible a little bit better. If you're a first-time viewer, you need to understand how things work. There's a phone number and a website on the screen. Use them anytime. Get in touch with us. Uh, ask a question. Tell us what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible, and that's what we'll deal with. We'll put it in the stack of questions and get to it as soon as we can. Uh, so if you're interested in something specific, maybe something general about your life or, or what you see in the news, and you wonder, what's the Bible say about that? We'll be glad to try to find an answer for you. So let us know what you want us to talk about. And when I say us, I mean me and Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Toby's back and studied up and ready to go. And uh, we got some good ones today. I think you drew the first one, but we always start with our viewers first. So here's your question for the day. What did Joshua do when the Israelites crossed the Jordan? Something specific that happened when they crossed into the Promised Land. And we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you know that little bit of Bible history. All right, Toby, get us started here. We can make it happen. Uh, let's see. The first question is, what does it mean in James, be doers of the word, not just hearers? Well, this uh, question is found in James chapter 1, verse 22. And uh, the way you quoted it was probably the New King James. And uh, here's the NIV translation of it. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Uh, James is a very practical book. And if you read through the book of James, it's a short little book. And what it, uh, someone once called it, uh, Jesus instructions with blue jeans on. In other words, James is very practical, very real, very, you know, you can just dig in, find some good things to practice in your life. And, of course, as he sets out in the beginning of the book, he's saying, listen, it's not just enough to uh, read and study. Of course, we encourage that on this program. But at some point, you got to apply it. you got to do what the Bible says to do. Uh, don't just read it. Don't just study it for the Bible to make an impact. You got to do it. You got to practice it. You got to do what it says to do. And uh, James is pretty clear that it's, you know, we're not saved by faith alone. That faith alone involves some action, some work, some some doing of something to show our faith by what we do. And so that's a big theme throughout the book of James, and that's what it means. You gotta, you gotta do exactly what it says. And uh, so different translations will help with that. James one twenty two in the ESV says, "Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves." Uh, lots of people <clears throat> uh, may be familiar with the Bible. I may know some verses of Scripture. Maybe you're a regular viewer on this program. Maybe you're a, a star Bible student, and those are wonderful things. But at some point, you have to do what it says. Hope that helps. Good explanation. 
All right, viewer wants to know, do the, does the Church of Christ believe in generational sin? Uh, well, this program is produced by the Churches of Christ, so it's probably why our viewer asked that, but uh, it really doesn't matter what the Church of Christ believes, uh, it matters what the Bible says. Now, we strive to teach what the Bible says, but there's things like this that kind of depends uh, what you mean by it. Uh, some people talk a lot about a generational curse, uh, generational sin being a generational curse, which put simply kind of means that if you got a lot of problems in your life, it's probably because of something your great-granddaddy did, uh, that sins carry this curse with them and they go down through generations and, and all that. Uh, so no, I don't think we believe the Bible teaches that specifically, where that comes from, and if you look at the context, I think it's a lot easier to understand. The Bible does talk about uh, consequences for generations, and let's read that verse out of uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9. Uh, God says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, idols, is what he's talking about, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. All right, a couple things in there we're going to have to notice. Uh, first, it's talking about idols specifically, and then look at that last phrase, the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Okay, now, if we go back to Deuteronomy in chapter 5 and see where this is, this is in the middle of the Ten Commandments. Well, actually, it's kind of the first of the Ten Commandments. Uh, it's specifically the commandment about not having idols. And God says, don't bow down to them. Don't worship idols. And then he says, uh, I'll visit the sins of the fathers for three and four generations on those who hate me. All right. So to bow down to idols is to turn away from God, to stop worshiping Jehovah God and begin to worship false idols. And what God says is that lasts for three or four generations. And now, I'm not, I don't think he's saying that, okay, once somebody bows down to an idol, you're in trouble for four generations. But in general, that's what happens. Uh, when a generation turns away from God, it takes three or four generations for people to come back to God, to realize we got to reform this, we got to stop this. Uh, I think that's more what God's talking about. But notice he says there are those who hate me. Uh, if a son follows and a grandson follows in worshiping something besides Jehovah God, they hate him, they've turned against him, and the consequences go on as long as they do that. So I don't think this is a general statement about somebody does something wrong, your great-grandson's going to suffer for it. Uh, now, generations do suffer the consequences sometimes, but not the guilt of a great-grandfather. And there's verses that talk about that specifically. So a generational sin uh, in the sense of a generational curse, no, I don't believe the Bible teaches that. Uh, turning against God, worshiping other things, yes, that has consequences for generations. So I think that's the best explanation of it, perhaps. Yeah, you had a good answer. And, and I, I've also thought about this in the family dynamic, too. Sometimes 
the <laughs> the sins of the father of parents children see those things and mm -hmm. sometimes they repeat you know the behaviors not the guilt mm -hmm. uh, this is exactly what you said <coughs> but it reminds us that as parents and, and that down to the generations our behaviors within the family can have an impact on you know our kids watching our grandkids watching mm -hmm. oh you know <laughs> and it has an impact on them oh generations do repeat yeah. the sins because that's what they've seen. Sure. Uh, somebody that abuses their spouse right. probably grew up in yep. an abusive household. Exactly. That's how they learned to treat women. Right. Uh, so yeah, in that sense, generational sin does kind of carry on, sure. but uh, not in the sense that some You're people right. use no. as a generational curse. No, I just no, I appreciate you, that. That's, you had a good good answer there, and uh, just something to to think about as we. Yep. All right, next uh, question is from Hebrews chapter 4. A question about Hebrews. Does Hebrews 4.12 say something about how to, w how to tell your child to wait until marriage to get pregnant? All right, well, that's a very specific question, and um, we, we can easily answer it by looking at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, and it says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So my answer is no. It does not answer your uh, what you were asking about. Now, uh, this scripture tells us one thing that we certainly believe on this program is the power and the efficacy of God's word. How it has the power to change hearts and lives and and really just bring us square with what God wants in our lives. So that's a good thing. Perhaps you are thinking of another verse in Hebrews. This is, is only my guess um, that you are thinking of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Let's look at that verse. It says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed be kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. So uh, that may speak a little bit. Uh, yes, God intended marriage to be a covenant, to be a holy thing, to be a <laughs> lifetime thing, to be between a man and a woman. Uh, th uh, this is a simple idea that's uh, carried all the way through the Old and the New Testament. Of course, human beings are really good at overcomplicating what God intended to be simple. But God intended the uh, uh, sexual activities between men and women to occur in the covenant of marriage. Sex is not a bad thing. It's not a, uh, it's, I mean, God designed it, and it's a wonderful blessing, but it was designed to be in the, in the marriage covenant, and it's designed to help bring two together as one. And I believe it is a, a wonderful blessing of God, but it's to be honored. It's to be cared for, and it's designed for the marriage bed. And, uh, and then the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, you know, outside of the marriage bed, the sexual immoral, the adultery, uh, that God's going to judge all that. He does not, that, that is not what he intended with it. Human beings uh, often go beyond what God intends. Uh, that doesn't change what God intends. And so we want to stick to the Bible. And if you're speaking to a child or grandchild or someone that you know and love about the importance of that, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 is a, a wonderful reminder that regardless of the, where the world goes and how the world redefines marriage and uh, how it says, well, these, these behaviors are really not that bad, uh, the Bible's pretty clear that um, uh, God wants sex to be a blessing and not a burden. So I hope that's uh, helpful, and I hope that's the right verse that will help you. <laughs> Sounds like a pretty good one. All right, let's talk just a moment about a good way to study the Bible. And if you're watching this program, you're interested in the Bible, we presume. You, you, you 
have some respect for it and think God's Word is important. Uh, but we've got a lot of viewers that are not regular students of the Bible, and we try to encourage people to study the Bible more. That's why we named the program Know Your Bible. So we've found that some people need a little help to get started in that, and we've got some tools that will help you do that. <clears throat> Excuse me, we've got some courses that uh, this one will come to you in the mail, and you start off learning about the Old Testament and then the New Testament, and uh, you learn a lot about the Bible. Then we've got some more advanced courses after you get through with that first one. Uh, you can keep studying the Bible for a long time with Know Your Bible Study Tools, and uh, we had thousands of people take us up on that and thank us for all the Bible they learned. Uh, recently, we've added some online courses. If you'd rather study online on your phone or your tablet, uh, you can study the Bible that way. Just log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org, and uh, they'll get you set up with us, and you can start studying the Bible in that way. Uh, so we've got some options for you, and all of them are great studies of the Bible, just good general studies. They're not tied to any denomination or any doctrine. It's just a Bible study. So if you want to know your Bible a little better, use that phone number or website on the screen or use that special one for the online courses. Let us get it started for you. <clears throat> All right. You were asked about uh, baptism. Should you be baptized in the name of Jesus? And my answer to that is yes, you should be baptized in the name of Jesus. <clears throat> I suspect that somebody's really asking, should you be baptized in the name of Jesus? And that's the only way you should be baptized, and my answer to that is no. Now, the reason I make that distinction is because I know that people argue about this. Uh, churches have, uh, denominations have split over this, where some people think you should be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and another group thinks, no, it's Jesus' name only, baptism. Uh, so I, I know that controversy exists, and it exists because there's two verses. One says each of those, and let's just look at those verses and then discuss them. First, let's look at Acts 2.38. <clears throat> Peter replied to the people on Pentecost, when they asked what they should do, and he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All right, so that one says, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. But then Matthew 28, 19, which is Jesus, uh, telling his apostles right before he left the earth, he says, go th therefore and make disciples of all nations, <coughs> baptizing them, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All right, so like I said, some groups read <laughs> Acts 2.38 and some read Matthew 28 and say, okay, this is the way, this is what you say uh, when you baptize somebody. You say, I'm doing this in Jesus' name or I'm doing this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, and it comes down to an argument between which verse is right, which one is true. Well... That's a really <laughs> inconsequential argument because they're both true. Uh, that's one principle of Bible study. If it's in there, it's true. And if it seems to disagree, uh, we've, we've got to figure out why, how, how to rationalize these, how to bring them together. Well, the answer is that those verses are not a formula for what you're supposed to say. 
when you baptize somebody. Uh, it's not that at all. It's a description of what's happening. When you are baptized, you're baptized by the authority in the name of God, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, in the name of all that's holy. You're, you're baptized by divine authority. Okay? And that's all that's saying. Uh, Peter said, be baptized by the authority of Jesus Christ. He's the one that said, be baptized. Uh, Jesus said, you're baptized by the authority of the Father and my authority and the Holy Spirit's authority. Okay, so it's not a formula for what you say. And one way to reason through that is, uh, what if the person being baptized couldn't say anything? Uh, What if he was mute? Well... Can he still baptize somebody? Uh, what if two mutes, one was baptizing each other? Nothing could be said. Would the baptism still be effective? Yes, because they understand that it's being done in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, by the authority. Uh, so that's what those two verses mean. Should you be baptized in the name of Jesus? Yes. Should you be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Yes. Well, put, just describe what's happening uh, any way you want to, and the baptism is effective as long as you understand it's by the authority of God. All right, Toby, what do you got next? Uh, next question is a scripture, a question about a scripture. Psalm 139, verse 14, <clears throat> says, We are fearfully and wonderfully made. What does fearfully mean? Oh, I, uh, this is a... A really good question. I I like that. Sometimes we think about fearfully maybe from a different perspective. Let me answer that by by telling you about my grandfather who's passed away. But uh, while he was alive, grandfather was a woodworker. He was uh, was really good at it. He was excellent at making all sorts of things. Uh, Grandkids graduated. Girls received a cedar chest. Uh, Boys received a, a a machinist toolbox all made out of wood. It was a beautiful thing. Every year at Christmas, he would make uh, someone draw their name, and he would make them a, a, a bookcase or a, a piece of furniture. Uh, he was very good at woodworking, and, and every time you saw his creation, it made you marvel at his abilities. It made you think about the time that it took to get the wood right and, and uh, sand it and stain it and fit it all together and and make this marvelous creation. You, you saw the finished product, but when you thought about what went into that, it really made you marvel at the man who did that. You ever go to the ocean? You ever visit the mountains? You ever see a, a fantastic, breathtaking sunset? And in that moment, you just stop and marvel because what you see, it is clear to any reasonable, rational person that what you're seeing there is evidence of design. It's not an accident. It's not random. And that is the purpose, in my view, of all creation, that God surrounds us with not our world, but his world. And he surrounds this, as the old hymn says, this is my father's world. And and he surrounds us with so many evidences of how good and amazing and marvelous he is. We, we look at his creation and it causes us, or it should, to marvel at the Creator. Human body, uh, one of the most amazingly complex and unique organisms in the world, in every part of it, 
from your eyeball, which Darwin couldn't explain. He, he even wrote that he couldn't, his theory didn't work because he couldn't explain the eye. Your immune system and how it fights off disease, your, your internal organs that work uh, constantly and all the time, or they should, uh, without you giving a thought, a conscious thought to it. Um, the, the the mysteries of DNA and, and the marvels of, of the, the brain that even science is still trying to understand how it works. All of those parts of you and I are things that should cause us to marvel, not at the creation, but at the creator. Every aspect of it, from the largest to the tiniest single cell, reveals amazing, beautiful, and intelligent designs. It speaks volumes about our Creator, and it causes us to marvel at His awesomeness, at His uh, infinite power, and it fills us with a, a holy fear and a human wonder. And I believe that's what Psalm 139, that the psalmist is trying to convey. Let's look at that scripture on the screen. I praise you, for I am fearfully, wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. You can go through scriptures, and, and many are the praises of the psalmist that say, and I look at these things, and, and you made these things, and they are temporary. How much greater than must you be? That's what fearfully means. When we look at these things and they fill us with wonder and marvel and awe, they should not just cause us to uh, uh, stop and, and consider the creation, but really stop and take a big step back and consider the glory of the Creator. I believe that's what Psalm 139 is addressing. Let's look at this Psalm 139 in some different translations. The contemporary English uh, Bible says, I give thanks to you that I was marvelously set apart. The New English translation says, I will give you thanks because your deeds are awesome and amazing. The Revised Standard Version says, I praise thee for thou art fearful and wonderful. Wonderful are thy works. And I, I think fearfully is simply the psalmist's way of saying, God, you are amazing and and I revere you and worship you. And, and, and that's the right conclusion. Hope that helps. All right. If somebody wants to know about the seven deadly sins, what are they? And where are they found? Well, the seven deadly sins are not in the Bible. Uh, there's no list of them in there. There are lists of things that God hates. Uh, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. You might write that down and read it. Uh, it starts out, there are... Uh, Six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. So it's a list of seven things God hates. But there are other lists that are a little bit different. So the the seven deadly sins is something that man came up with. Uh, best I can tell from history, it was about the 6th century when somebody said, all right, here's seven really bad things. These are deadly sins. And here's what they listed back then. Let's put the list up. A wrath. Uh, <clears throat> greed, sloth, pride, lust, envy, and gluttony. Well, those are all bad things. Uh, the Bible doesn't say those are the seven worst sins or the seven most deadly or anything like that, but certainly seven things that we ought to avoid. Uh, but all sin is deadly in that sense. The, the wages of sin is death. So seven deadly sins aren't a Bible concept, but pretty good list to avoid and a lot of other things to avoid too. Right. <laughs> Take just a moment <clears throat> and invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. Churches of Christ produce this program and uh, provide it for you and we like to 
thank some of our sponsors, but today we're going to talk about the home church of Know Your Bible, <clears throat> the Northside Church of Christ, uh, north of Wichita, and, uh, North Meridian, and you wait a Valley Center there, get off 96 at exit 13, I think it is, and head north a little bit and find Northside, great bunch of people, uh, the home church to meet Toby and I will both be there most Sundays. Glad to meet our viewers, and we get to meet some each week that stop by and see us. If you're looking for a place to get your family involved in church, we've got a great children's program, great youth group. It's a really good place to raise a family. So visit Northside sometime. Whatever viewer, viewing audience you're in, whatever market you're in, there's a Church of Christ near you probably. Drop in and tell them that you heard about them on Know Your Bible. All right, Toby, what do you got for uh, us? Revelation questions. A viewer asks, Revelation 1-3 only blesses one person. Why is this one so special? Well, let's read Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, and maybe this will help us understand. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keeps what is written in it, for the time is near. Uh, when we understand that uh, John was writing this letter as a revelation of the vision that he he had received concerning events that were shortly to come to pass regarding the uh, first century church and its persecution and he was Jesus had specific instructions to the seven major churches of that time in that area and uh, this uh, you know in a day and age where we have tons of Bibles we can pull them up on the internet they're on our phones or you know we have them instantaneously that wasn't the case in the first century uh, they had this you know someone wrote a letter it was passed it was copied it was read aloud when it was received at a church and uh, I believe John is simply saying blessed is the one who reads this and blessed are those who hear it uh, not just hear it but actually as we talked about in an earlier question do what it says and take the lesson to heart. So uh, he's not just talking about A1, he's talking about anyone who paid attention to it. And uh, that's repeated later in Revelation 22:17. So hope that helps you. All right, I think we can squeeze one more in. If you want to know our dinosaurs ever mentioned in the Bible, and no, they're not mentioned by name. No verse says the Tyrannosaurus Rex did this or anything like that. Uh, there are a few creatures in the Bible, we don't know exactly what they were, and there's a couple of chapters you might want to read, Job 40 and Job 41, uh, God talks about a behemoth and a leviathan, and if you read both descriptions, they sound a whole lot like dinosaurs. Uh, the one, Job 40, is the behemoth, I found a picture of somebody that, uh, here's what they think the behemoth might have looked like. Uh, Job 40 and verse 15 says, <clears throat> Look now at the behemoth which I made along with you. And it describes he eats grass like an ox, his strength in his hips, he moves his tail like a cedar, his ribs are like bars of iron. So it sounds pretty much like a dinosaur. And then you read the Leviathan, it sounds like one also. So uh, dinosaurs aren't mentioned by name or all that. They obviously existed. We found skeletons of them. Uh, they are also obviously extinct. They aren't around anymore for some reason. So, uh, not mentioned in the Bible. We know they existed. Job 40, Job 41, read those. All right, let's uh, take time to get our trivia question answered today. And we ask about what did Joshua do when the Israelites crossed the Jordan? And what he did was he built a monument, a special monument. He had them pick up 12 stones and built a monument to remember their crossing. 
glad you've been with us today and hope you come back next week as we answer some more of your questions. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.